Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the psalm for the new year as we pick up in Psalm chapter 47, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Psalm 47 is a psalm for the new year. This psalm is read seven times before the blowing of the trumpet to announce the holy day, the beginning of the Jewish New Year. O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our God, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God, and he is greatly exalted. This again is looking into the glorious new age. The Jews looked at it as their new year, but it is a psalm really by which we will usher in the new age. The age in which Jesus establishes his kingdom and reigns over the earth is going to be a whole new age. And so it's significant that they would use it for a new year uh, because always in a new year there's a hope of things better, a new day dawning and so forth, a new year dawning, new opportunities. But this is a, a new age, the kingdom age that is dawning. And this is the psalm that will usher in the glorious kingdom age as we clap our hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph because he has now established his kingdom over all of the earth and we are there with him. He is the king over the earth. Sing praises. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountains of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. This is still looking forward into the kingdom age. When Jesus, the great king, will dwell in Jerusalem, his throne will be upon Mount Zion. So it's always so exciting to me when I go over to Jerusalem. One of my favorite places in all of Israel is Mount Zion. I love to just stand on Mount Zion and just say, wow, this is the place. I wonder where on this mount he's going to put his throne. The glorious king is coming. He's coming soon. He's going to establish his kingdom over the whole earth, and Mount Zion will be the place of his throne. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And so the north side of the Mount of Zion actually slopes down into the city of Jerusalem. And somewhere, somewhere around there, He's going to establish his throne. 
God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. And they were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God. In the midst of thy temple, according to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark well the bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. So walk about Zion. Go round about her. Look at the towers and all. And I do this every time I go over there. I love to just walk around Mount Zion and just, to just think ahead of God's glorious plan. Oh, what a thrill. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open dark sayings upon the harp. So I'm going to play my harp and accompany myself, and I'm going to give you some things to think about, some dark parables. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. Now, He's going to play on his harp and, and give you some things to meditate and think upon. And first, concerning the rich people, those that have so much wealth. There are some things that money cannot buy. They that trust in their wealth boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. With all of their money, they cannot redeem their souls. You cannot buy salvation. For the redemption of their soul is precious. Now, Peter probably was thinking of this psalm when he wrote, For we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold from the empty life we used to live, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For the redemption of their soul is precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ who was slain as a lamb without spot or blemish. You can't buy it. The redemption of a soul, man can't buy it. Now, the thought of the rich man is that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perishes, and they leave their wealth to others. Now, 
One thing about the money, and of course he says it here, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations, and so they call their lands after their own names. Now beware when people start naming places after themselves. It's, it's sort of a, an endeavor to say, hey, you know, I'm going to live on forever, the perpetuating of my name. And so I have, you know, Chuck Smith Center and Chuck Smith Recreation Hall and Chuck Smith Chapel and Chuck Smith <laughs> University. And, oh, God help us. I'm glad he gave me such a dumb common name as Smith. So there will be no movement to name anything after Smith. It's interesting how that people, you know, look up to certain people and the values that the world has today, the value system. Their inward thought is that their houses will continue forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abides not. He is like the beasts that perish. This, their way, is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Oh, do you know what he said? You know, and you have a little book of quotations. Chuck Smith said. <laughs> oh, God deliver us. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall revive me. Now the wealthy, you know, their bodies are going to be consumed, their beauties in the grave, but God is going to revive me. Be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies... He will carry nothing away. So the rich with their riches cannot redeem their souls, nor can they take it with them. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lived he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou do well to yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, and they shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understands not is like the beast. Brutish, foolish. Man is like the beast. That is a man who is not born again. For a man who is not born again is living in a body conscious state just like the beast. For that's what animal life is, a body conscious life. All the animal is thinking about is his next meal or the procreation and, and just following the basic body instincts. And man without God, without the spirit being made alive, is just like a beast. And like a beast, he will perish. But those who have been born again by the Spirit of Christ, who live and believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus said, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. God will revive my soul. I'll be dwelling with him. 
Psalm 50 is divided into three categories. The first six verses deal with God who is speaking. In the Hebrew, it begins, El Elohim Yahovah hath spoken. God, singular, God's plural, and then the name Yahweh or Jehovah hath spoken. El Elohim, the El, God's singular, is many times translated mighty because it is that force concentrated and thus the thought of God as mighty. So it is translated the mighty God, even Jehovah hath spoken. God, God's Jehovah hath spoken. And he called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come. He will not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. When our Lord comes again, breaking again into history. Now, there are those who have declared that God has alienated himself from the earth, from man, and from history. In the last days, Peter said, scoffers are going to come saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since our fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. God has pulled away from his work, from his world, from his universe. He's allowing things now to just progress and in an evolutionary order is the word of scoffers. But Peter points out God has intervened in history before. These men are willingly ignorant of the flood where God intervened in history. Willingly ignorant of the incarnation of Jesus Christ where God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. And he is coming again. He is not going to keep silent. God has spoken. He is coming. And around him and before him, the devouring fire of the great tribulation. And this tempestuous movements about him. When Jesus returns, the earth is going to be in the midst of the greatest carnage it has ever known. That battle of Armageddon will be in full swing. Blood will be flowing to the horses' bridles throughout the valley of Megiddo. Horrible carnage. This man is unleashing all of his pent-up anger and resentment and bitterness and hatred against each other, culminating in this mad rebellion against God and, and, and seeing the climax of man's rebellion against God, saying we don't want God to rule over us. We'll rule ourselves. We can live without God. We don't need God. We don't need to be confined by prudish laws or by restraining principles by which I am not allowed to follow the full desires of my own passions and flesh. And we'll see the culmination of man's rebellion there in the valley of Megiddo. And while that battle is in full swing, Jesus will come again. 
He'll set his foot on the Mount of Olives, and that thing is just going to split right through the middle. There's going to be, it's tempestuous. It's going to be, the world will be in a tempestuous state at his coming. He shall call the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people, gathering together the people for judgment. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. And so God is speaking. He tells of the day that is coming, the day of his judgment. He's not going to keep silent forever. First of all, God addresses himself now to his people, the second part of the psalm, beginning with verse 7 and going through verse 15. And God said, Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I, I, I don't have anything to say against the fact that you were faithful in your religious duties. You kept the sacrifices, the offerings there continually. You were very faithful in your religious duties. But God is saying that's not what it's about. I don't want mechanical worship from you. I don't want your service to me to be out of a sense of obligation or duty. So I will take no bullock out of your house, nor he goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all of the fowls of the mountains, the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Now, God is showing that the people had the wrong concept when they were bringing their sacrifices to him. When they were giving to God, they had just that idea, oh, I'm giving to God, as though God had a need for me to give to him, as though God needed to me to supply the meat for his dinner tonight. So I will take one of the lambs out of my flock, and I'll bring it to God so he can have dinner tonight, for he's depending on me to feed him. God said, look, it's, I'm not hungry. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Because the world is mine and the fullness thereof. I wouldn't go to you. It is manifestly wrong for us to give the assumption to people today that God is broke. I am tired of the letters that I get every week where God is in another financial crisis. This is the greatest crisis we've ever faced in the history of our ministry. And God is going to have to cut back his marvelous work. It's going to cease unless you send in $25 this week. And these ministries that are facing one crisis after another. What a poor image they are giving of God to the world as they get on television with their sniffles and tell us how desperate God is, how he needs immediate emergency action on your part to save him from financial disaster.
so that people are giving with the idea of helping God out. Oh, God, please don't file bankruptcy here. I will send you a check for $5. As though God is depending on me for support. And if I fail to support him, his whole program is down the tubes. God doesn't want you to give with the idea of helping him out. God doesn't want you to think that he's holding out a tin cup. And God was upset with the people. I'm not hungry. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need, your, I don't need you to supply me for food. Think I'm going to eat that dirty old goat out of your flock? You're kidding yourself. <laughs> the reason why you are bringing a sacrifice isn't to feed me. The reason why you're bringing a sacrifice is that your sins might be covered in order that you might have restored fellowship with me. And that's what I desire is meaningful, heartfelt fellowship with you. That's what I want. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study, the book of Psalms, on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 47 through 50 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and watch over you during the week. May your love and commitment to God grow day by day. And may we each one consider what we are giving to God and how we give it, that we might render unto God that which is pleasing and acceptable in His sight of our time, of our service, of our abilities, of our substance. God bless you. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The 1960s became one of the most colorful periods in American history. The counterculture was dropping out and turning on. The Summer of Love was the stage for many dramas of change. And the most popular musical group in the world was singing, All You Need Is Love. But one man in Southern California was reaching out with the answer 
and the truth began to set people free. Author and pastor Chuck Smith began to share the love of Jesus Christ with a generation that was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now some 40 years later, the gospel of love is still changing lives. In his book simply titled, Love, The More Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith expounds upon the love that can change your life now and forever. For more information on how to obtain your copy, visit a bookstore nearest you or call 1-800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. That's thewordfortoday.org.